you have a, uh, an insert in your bulletin, worship guide, whatever you want to call it, uh, that has uh, a little uh, half page that we're going to walk through together. I always like to do this if I have time to get it to Jeannie and she's able to get it in there. Just gives you an outline of, of where we're going. Uh, hopefully something that you can take with you. Uh, and hopefully you don't take today's message and, and leave it here. But you take it home with you. And you can take this and use it. You can take it throw it away. Whatever you want to do with it. But hopefully this will kind of uh, spur you on uh, in your journey with Christ. That's my objective. My, my hope and desire for you. Um, I can't do it for you or make you do it, but hopefully this helps somewhat. Some of you like it, I'm sure. Some of you absolutely love it, I know, because you've told me. Some of you probably don't like it. You haven't told me that, but I'm sure there's some people that don't like it. That's okay. That's all right. You, you, have, uh, you're, you, you have your opinion, and, and you're entitled to that, all right? Um, so anyway, uh, good to be here. Uh, good to be able to share with you. I'm excited about this. Uh, this is uh, a topic, an idea, a portion of Scripture that I have, uh, I've just been studying uh, for probably a month now. Uh, and just kind of, I don't know, the Lord just kind of uses that sometimes in my life. He gives me something and I just hang on to it and I just can't get away from it. Uh, can't can't quit, quit chewing on it. And so I'm excited about this. Hopefully uh, it encourages you, uh, it challenges you. Uh, in, in your journey uh, with Christ. So uh, if you want to stand with me, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read a few verses in chapter 9, and then we'll end uh, in chapter 2. And I'm sorry that I'm ending where I'm ending, but I, I knew for the sake of time we just would not have uh, the time to walk all the way through <clears throat> Jesus sending out the 72. All right? So Luke chapter 9, you can follow along. Hopefully you're already there. Um, We're actually going to start in verse 51 in Luke chapter 9. The Bible says, At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then then he and his disciples went to another village. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. In verse 2, this is where we're going to conclude. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray together. Father, we do again thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. We just ask in this time together, as we look and desire to study your word, to have a better understanding and how to apply it to our lives, we pray that we're able to then take it out and walk it out and share the love of Christ with a world that does not know you, does not accept you. So God, in this moment, in this time, we just pray that your spirit would come, that you would walk among us, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us and that you would convict us. Lord, bringing forth the desire in our own hearts to know you more, to walk closer with you, ultimately to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Maybe seated. So I'm sure many of you have already looked at the first question and you're going, all right, Mac, what in the world are you talking about? Now, three weeks from now, we're able to put a picture up, hopefully, and you can, you can visualize what I'm talking about here. And I have them printed out. They're sitting on my desk, but it just I didn't feel like it would really have the same effect to be able to show you a picture of a vacuum and a picture of a man plowing a field with a mule. Now, the really cool thing about the picture of the man plowing the field with a mule is that it's actually a picture of Sandra's late grandfather, Grady, who plowed his own garden up until about age 92, 93, with his mule. He passed away five years, four or five years ago, something like that. But he would plow his garden with his mule every, and, and loved doing that. Now, the picture of the vacuum, here, here's where this comes in. I found this, this story interesting. Uh, Dyson Vacuums, the man that created Dyson Vacuums. Uh, we don't own one, by the way, and I try to run away when I'm asked to vacuum. Um, but the vacuum cleaner, the, the story behind the Dyson Vacuum Cleaner is the fact that he attempted to create the Dyson Vacuum Cleaner, a prototype, over 5,000 times before he got it right took him 5,000 attempts to finally create the right vacuum or the vacuum that would sit. Now, what in the world does a vacuum cleaner and a man plowing a field with a mule have in common? To which you say, nothing, Mac. Nothing, right? We look at one and we go, man, a vacuum, I mean, they created that to make life easier, right? For the women, for the men, no, but for the women, yeah. And then you look at the man plowing a field with a mule and we go, there's nothing easy about that. What I love about the two pictures, even though they are completely different and completely opposite, is the fact that they both, if you look at the story of the Dyson vacuum cleaner and then you look at the man plowing the field, now look at Sanders' granddaddy in his 90s doing this. 
Guess what they both take? Here's what they have in common to me. Commitment. Commitment. That's what we're going to center our time together around this morning, is looking at this idea of commitment. Because they both, in their own arenas, require commitment. Because the, the, the man that the, the vet developed and invented the Dyson vacuum cleaner, he was asked one day, why did, you, why did you keep going? You know, after a couple of attempts and, and failures, you would think somebody would just quit. And he said, no. After every failed attempt, I felt like I was one step closer to creating the vacuum cleaner that we know today as the Dyson vacuum cleaner. And I'll never forget Sandra's granddaddy. And it just it blew my mind that at his age, he's out there plowing his garden with a mule. And, and we, we used to go over and eat dinner with them on, on Saturdays at 11, 11.30 or something like that. We would go and we'd eat dinner with them. And, and one day I just asked, why do you do that? I mean, Sandra's dad is just right next door and he's got several tractors and several plows one swipe and you're done. Why do you do it? And I'll never forget, he said this. He said, because I enjoy plowing the way I was taught to plow. And I went, wow. Man, that takes commitment. That takes incredible commitment. That's what we're going to center our discussion around. So the next part of the, the, the insert that you have is defining commitment. How, how do you define commitment? And I just, I want you to, real quick, if you're, if you're following along, if you want to, I just want you to write down, what, what is commitment to you? How do you define commitment? I'm interested, uh, and you can tell me after if you want to. This isn't really the setting where you can shout about. But I want you to write down, define commitment. What does that look like for you? And then we're going to walk through this scripture together. The first blank that you have, I want you to understand when it comes to the cost of following Jesus, when it comes to the commitment of following Jesus, when you make that decision, when you make that commitment to follow Jesus, uh, one of the things that I struggle with being in ministry sometimes is, is the fact that you, you see people, oftentimes you see people walking away from the faith. You see people, uh, they make commitments sometimes and, you know, a month down the road or a year down the road or two years down the road, they, they walk away. They walk away. Maybe they don't say it verbally, but you just see it in their life. But they're, they're walking away from the faith. And, and as somebody in ministry, that hurts. That's painful. And sometimes you question why is that? Why is that? Why, why do people walk away from the faith? And it just, it struck me the other day and, and I thought, man, that's, that's it. I, I think it is. And I think the reason why we see so many people walking away from the faith today is because they don't have a clear understanding of what it means to be committed to the gospel message. They don't really understand what it means 
to follow Jesus. And the commitment that is required, and I think we begin to see that spelled out here in Luke chapter 9. But what we see first isn't something that you might would expect. Because I think so often the, the gospel message is preached in a way that, that people believe that, hey, if I, if I accept Jesus, then everything in my life is going to be completely fixed and completely fine. And maybe you had that experience. But in my life, when I accepted Jesus, guess what? I was still five, seven and a half and 141 pounds. What if I wanted to be an NBA basketball player? Well, then I wasn't making it. Right? I know that's very elementary. There are other people that have addictions and they battle other addictions and and, and struggles in their life. And I'm not telling you that Jesus can't fix those. He can. Absolutely He can. But if we're preaching this prosperity gospel... People are going to walk away. Because to follow Jesus, it takes commitment on our part. To want to grow, to want to seek Him, to want to follow Him. And what Jesus is looking for, what we're going to see in Luke chapter 9, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It might be painful. It will be hard. There will be struggles. But what I hope to accomplish at the end of our time today is that you'll see that in the end, at the end of the day, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. The first blank that you have with the O is opposition. The cost of following Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus and you're weighing the cost, you need to understand that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. And I love this story in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. Because you see the story of of Jesus. He's traveling, right? The Bible says that he's traveling to Jerusalem. But he encounters or they begin to go through this small village or this town called Samaria, right? This, this Samaritan village. And what happens? What happens? He's opposed, right? He's not accepted. He's not wanted. But guess what the disciples wanted to do? They wanted to call fire down. They asked Jesus, let us call fire down. And wipe them out. It's so funny as a Christian sometimes when we're opposed, we get defensive. I get defensive. Listen, being in ministry, there are people that oppose the church, there are people that oppose nonprofits like I work for. 
There are people that, that their main objective, their main goal, I have no idea if they have a job. But their main objective and, and goal is to put people like us out and oppose everything that we do. I ran into a guy last Sunday. We were talking about some opposition that the school district is facing. And, and I... Walking away, he said this. He said, Mac, he said, it does not matter what you do or what I do. We're always going to face opposition. Always. Listen, there, there are folks that have opposed the job that I do, and there have been times where I've wanted to call fire down and wipe them out. But when I read this and I read how Jesus, he did what? He rebuked them, right? He rebuked them. And you know what dawned on me? Was this. When Jesus faced this opposition, you know what he did? He, he turned that opposition into an opportunity. He saw opposition in front of him. And it led to an opportunity. Boy, you want to talk about a shift in perspective? That's a shift in perspective because he now saw what, what was an opposition. And through that opposition, he created an opportunity. Boy, what if we took that same approach in our walk? What if we took that same approach in our families? in our business, in our personal lives, where we faced opposition, where we faced struggle, and we created an opportunity. But an opportunity for what? It's not an opportunity to get back. Sometimes that's our first reaction, but that's not it. That's not what it's all about. It's not to get back at the person that intended to harm you or put you out or whatever it might have been. It's not to call fire down from heaven. That's not it at all. What is the opportunity for? What is the opportunity for? Listen, you can't lose sight. You cannot lose sight of the gospel when you face opposition. You cannot lose sight of the gospel when you face opposition. Interesting thing about this opposition is if you flip over into Acts chapter 8, you'll see some of the disciples went back. And they had some success. They, they shared the gospel. They saw conversions. The second letter, second blank, where the eye is at is Invitation. You see, opposition leads to opportunity, and that opportunity leads to an invitation. And we see that in verse 57 in Luke chapter 9, where it talks about the cost of following Jesus. He took this opposition, made it into an opportunity, and through that opportunity, he began to invite men, invite followers to follow him. And that's what you see in verse 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, 
a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. The second man, as Jesus turned, and after he gave his explanation, he had no place to, to lay his head. He looked at another man and he said, hey, follow me. The man said, I will follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And then the third man, the invitation was extended to him. And he said, I'll follow you, but let me go say goodbye to my family. Let me go say goodbye to my family. These three examples teach us here that we are called to follow Jesus without excuse. The first man, he was right. But Jesus wanted to explain and and make sure that he understood the commitment that he was making because the man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And the other man said, I want to go bury my my, my father or I, I want to go say goodbye to my family. Those good excuses could be, could be seen as good excuses. But what Jesus is showing us here is there's no excuse. He's called us to be fully committed to Him. Even the best excuse should not get in the way of discipleship. They both had great excuses. But those are getting in the way of fully committing to follow Jesus. Those are three examples that we have there. The last one, and we'll wrap up with this, is success. You see that opposition created an opportunity. The opportunity led to an invitation. And that invitation, guess what? leads to success. Where do we get that from? We get it from Luke chapter 10. He sent 72 men, two by two, out to every town and place where he was going to go to prepare the way. Why? Because the harvest was plentiful. But the workers were few. This is the answer to why we do what we do. Is it tough? Is there a struggle at times? Is there opposition? Yes, absolutely. But that opposition creates an opportunity and through that opportunity we're able to invite. And through that invitation, guess what we see? We see ministry success. We see the gospel proclaimed. We see the gospel advanced. Our success is determined by our commitment. Now let's go back to verse 62, and this is where we're going to wrap up. Verse 62, this is where Jesus says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's the commitment that Jesus is looking for. That when we understand and accept the gift of salvation, His sacrifice 
on the cross and we fully understand that commitment, it's understanding that He's asking us to hold on to the plow. Many of you in here, I'm sure, you've plowed a field with a mule. If you haven't, I'm sure that you've seen someone plow a field with a mule. If you, saw, if you have ever seen anyone successfully plow a field with a mule with one hand, I want you to come see me. Because I would love to know who they are, if they're still living. I'd love to meet them. There's a reason why Jesus uses this example, because that was the only means to plowing a field, correct? Very effective. Because they understood and they knew at that time, just as we should understand and know today, that it's nearly impossible to plow a field with a mule and our furrows be straight. I don't know, I knew that, did you? It's impossible. Today it's kind of like driving, and when you take one hand off the wheel and you look this way, which way does your car go? That way, right? Or you look this way, which way does your car go? That way. Well, when you take one hand off and you look back on a plow, guess what happens? You go that way. And you know what a good farmer does? When he's plowing his field, he looks at the last furrow that he created or he made, right? And what does that determine? The next one. Right? And then the next one. And if that one gets off, guess what happens? They all get off. And Jesus is simply saying that, listen, when you're committing to following me, I am simply asking you to hold on to the plow and keep your eyes straight. Because I go back to Sandra's granddaddy, Papa Grady, and why he plowed his field. Yes, he enjoyed it. But why did he enjoy it? Because he knew the harvest that was coming. He knew the harvest that was coming. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. Listen, Jesus tells us in chapter 10 that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why are they few? Because there's a lack of commitment. There's a lack of commitment. So my challenge to you as we wrap up, and I'm about to pray, what are you committed to today? What are you committed to today? Understanding that we only have so many buckets in our lives that we can fill. And beyond five or six buckets, guess what? You're not filling any of your buckets. You're just not. You can sell yourself on the fact that you think you are, but you're just not. What are you committed to today? I hope, first of all, you're committed to your faith and walk with Christ. Because if you don't have that one right, nothing else in this world is going to matter or be right. You've got to have that bucket, and you've got to fill that bucket every single day. Number two is your family. It's your marriage. It's your children. That's number two. If you're not married, hey, you focus on number one. And you fill yourself with the love of Christ. 
And you lead extended family the best way that you know how. Number two for me is to be the husband that God's called and created me to be and to be the daddy that He's called and created me to be. That's number two. Number three is my career. Now those of you that are retired, I want to be there one day. Right? So you just focus more on one and two and you can fill three in with golf or gardening or farming or whatever you want. You understand where I'm going with that, that progression. Beyond five or six, you're not filling buckets. You're just putting drops in. Jesus wants us to be fully committed. Fully committed. Both hands on the plow. And look straight. Why? Because he's got it all under control. He just wants the workers to be fully committed. That's my prayer for you this morning. That's my challenge to you this morning. What are you committed to this morning? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much. Thank you for the day. Thank you for loving us. We thank you most of all for the time that that we have been able to spend together in your word, studying, growing, and learning. And we just pray that as we walk out of here, or that we would have a, a stronger desire to know who you are, more about you, and what it means, what it looks like. To follow you, fully committed. Both hands, both hands to the plow. Not looking back, not second guessing, not worrying about the past, but hopeful for the future. We love you, we praise you, in Christ's name, amen.